0: everybody, Hey, welcome to Faith Community Church. My name is tim i 'm one of the pastors here, and I sound like garbage today, so I have a cold that i 'm pushing through, so but i 'm super not contagious it 's all good. everyone in the front row's fine you 're going to be just fine, okay. Well, it's great to have you this morning. I feel like I've seen about 15 people that I've never seen before, so I just want to give a special shout-out to anyone who's here for the very first time. We're so honored to have you today. And if you're here, and maybe it's been a really long time since you were in a church, we are just honored that you would spend your, your time with us this morning. We really, really are. And I've seen some people that I feel like you know, I haven't seen maybe in like four or five weeks. I, it's, just, it's doing my heart good to be gathered with you this morning is what I'm trying to tell you. So good morning. We love you and welcome. And we're going to jump back into our series in the life of Joseph. In this series, the dungeon, we've been walking through the life of Joseph. He was a uniquely gifted young man uh, who, with dreams of greatness that was sold by his brothers into slavery and then thrown into prison by his Egyptian master. And yet we read again and again, as Joseph's story goes from bad to worse, that at each step it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And it's the presence of God in Joseph's life that allows him not just to survive uh, the the ordeal that he is in, but he really does become a great, great, great man. And this morning we're kind of um, wrapping up the part of the story where Joseph's life experiences redemption. Now his brothers are still, they got issues, okay? So we're going to work through the brothers beginning next week. But this week we're kind of wrapping up the part of the story where Joseph's life begins to kind of come full circle. Not completely, uh, but basically Joseph's Experience of personal redemption is going to kind of wrap up this week. So, what we're going to talk about this week is how God redeems the dungeon. So, I don't know if anyone here has a past. You don't need to raise your hand or anything. But if you have a past, if you've ever been in the dungeon, or maybe you're in the dungeon right now, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how God redeems that experience in our lives. And then we're going to talk a little bit also about greatness and what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. Now, I've been in church a long time and I was trying to think this week, have I ever heard or how many times have I ever heard sermons about being great in the kingdom of God? Because in the church we get, uh, rightly so by the way, we get a little nervous around people who wanna be great, right? So you meet a guy in church who's like, I'm gonna be awesome. You say, okay, make a mental note of that person. We're gonna stay away from him. But I, I just want to suggest to you, and especially in light of Joseph's story, um, I believe that God wants us to have tremendous ambition for his kingdom. Okay, uh, God wants us, no matter how old you are today, okay, no matter how much time is left to you, God wants his people to dream great things for the kingdom of God. And especially if you're young, God wants for you, and when I pray for you, okay, if you're under the age of 25 or so, when I pray for you, I ask God to fill you with ambition for his kingdom, that you would offer your lives to the Lord Jesus, saying, here's my life, and I'm asking you to make it great for the sake of your glory and your kingdom, okay? And at the same time, we just all need to be aware that when we think about and talk about greatness, we're probably wrong. Everybody got that? Okay? So God wants you to be great, whatever your history this morning. God wants us to be great, but you you and I should be deeply suspicious. Everyone say deeply suspicious. Of your ideas of greatness. Because God's idea of greatness in his kingdom and your idea of greatness in his kingdom, I mean, just, I'm speaking for myself as well this morning, there's like a 98% chance you're off, okay? And often it's the dungeon that God uses to change and purify and make that ambition something that actually he can use, okay? So let's pick up where we left off last week. Actually, we're going to have just a little review this week. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 41, verse 38, and that's going to be on page 35. If you want to borrow a Bible from under the chairs in front of you this morning, Uh, page 35, Genesis chapter 41. If this, you know, maybe you haven't been with us in a while, or this is your first time in church this morning, what's been going on in Joseph's story, last week we read about how Pharaoh of Egypt had some dreams that were confusing to him and frightening to him. He heard there's a Hebrew in one of his prisons on the other side of town with a gift for interpreting dreams. And so after 13 years, either in slavery or in prison, Joseph is lifted up and brought into the presence of Pharaoh and his whole life is turned upside down in the space of just a few hours. And uh, let's pick up in verse 38 and see what happens. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set Joseph over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath Penea, and he gave him in marriage Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. An. And so Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until, it se- until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, Two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread and Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Take a look at verse 38 with me if you would. Can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Here lie all the secrets of Joseph's greatness. Porter talked about this last week. What set Joseph apart was not his gifts, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. It was the presence of God in his life. And that's, that's a promise. The presence of the Spirit of God is a promise that the New Testament has made to everyone who is trusting in the Lord Jesus. It is an incredible, incredible and amazing thought that to belong to Jesus is to walk in the Spirit, the same Spirit that led Joseph to do these amazing things. What I want to draw your attention to today, though, is that verses 38 through 45 are a compelling picture of what we mean when we use the word redemption. Uh, Sometime in the last year, I know we've done some teaching about what redemption means, but just by way of reminder, to redeem someone is to buy someone out of death or slavery, not just to whatever they were before, but to something far, far greater. And that's what's happened in Joseph's life. His history in the dungeon is being redeemed now. Uh, Joseph dreamed of leading his family. You remember that? Way back in chapter 37? When he was 17, he dreamed of leading his family. Now, Pharaoh puts him not just over his house, but over his people, and over the entire land of Egypt. Joseph had these dreams where his brothers and even his mom and dad would bow down to him. You remember that in chapter 37? Now he rides in a BMW chariot and everywhere he goes, they yell, bow the knee. And the whole land bows to Joseph. Joseph's brothers stripped him of a cloak and threw him in a pit. His master's wife stripped him of a cloak and threw him in prison. And now Pharaoh robes him in linen, gives him a signet ring and a golden chain. We've said before in this series, don't you think Joseph dreamed of having a family of his own like a lot of young men do. Now he finds himself married to one of the most prominent young women in the whole country. Redemption is to bring someone out of the pit, so to speak, and to take up everything that has happened to them, everything that's transpired in their past, and make it do good to them. Redemption is the fulfillment of Romans 8, 28, to take up everything that's happened to you and force it to do good to you and to make it all matter and to return to you more than you would have dreamed or imagined. And that's what's happening to Joseph. And this is what God says he has done for you right now in the Lord Jesus. We just sang about it this morning. Jesus, our redemption. Our redemption. Remember singing that 10 minutes ago? That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Jesus is our redemption. His life is our life now. His death has become our death. And his resurrection is a promise of a resurrection that is coming for you. And if we want to see everything that we are enduring right now, if we want to see what we're enduring right now redeemed, If we want to understand why this has happened, we only get to see that in Jesus. One of the things, I'm speculating now, okay, but I imagine that one of the things that makes hell so unendurable is that it contains no answers. That hell is a place where there is no redemption. Nothing comes full circle for you in hell. You never get to find out why X, Y, and Z unfolded in your life, and they never mean anything. And you are left forever with unanswered questions. I said a couple of weeks ago that there are some hurts that only heaven will heal. I really believe that. I am experiencing that. There are some hurts that only heaven is going to heal. And that's true, but just in light of our scripture reading today, I just want to expand on that idea a little bit this morning to say, while our our ultimate redemption will come with the redemption of all things, it is also the normal expectation, and this is really good news by the way, it is the normal hope and expectation of the Christian that we will see some things redeemed now. Isn't that good news? Many things in our lives we actually won't have to wait until the end to see them redeemed. That's what we're seeing in the life of Joseph. My wife Darcy has a three by five note card that's been on our bathroom mirror for many years now. It says, it's from Psalm 23, verse 13 and 14. It says, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord, the psalmist says. There are some things that only heaven will heal, but the normal expectation and hope of the Christian is that there are some things we will see now. We're not going to see all of it, okay? Joseph is not seeing all of it yet but we will see some of it. And I believe sometimes much of it. So the Christian never has grounds to be completely hopeless. We never have grounds to be completely hopeless because we believe in an ultimate redemption, an ultimate resurrection, but because we also believe that God is not done with this world. And he's not done with us. He's not done with our family. He's not done with our parents. He's not done here yet either. And because of who he is, We can hope, we can anticipate to see now why many of the things that have happened to us have happened. Here are just a few things uh, relevant to the way God has redeemed Joseph's life that also produced the greatness in his life. Okay, we'll call them uh, four quick lessons. Number one. Now, by, by the way, now Psalm 27, hanging on my bathroom mirror. That's not a promise. Okay, everybody got that? It's not a promise. You're not guaranteed that, that thing. But because of who God is, because of the normal natural course of things, generally that's going to happen. Here are four things that are promises, okay? Everybody say, this is a promise. Okay, so you can go home now and you can bank your whole life on what I'm about to say. Number one, 1 Samuel 2.30, the Lord says, those who honor me I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. He doesn't put a time frame on that promise, okay? But it's a promise nonetheless. And look at the life of Joseph. You want to do great things? Honor the Lord. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Honor him and he will honor you, whatever it may cost you resolve as Joseph did, I'm going to honor the Lord. Number two, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and at the proper time he will exalt you. Don't we see that in the life of Joseph? Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and when he's ready, God will exalt you. Greatness in the kingdom of God begins with remembering I'm not God. I'm not God. We aren't the king. We serve the king and he has his own purposes for our lives that we submit to. Number three, Galatians 6, 7. Here's another promise. Do not be deceived, Paul says. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What is Joseph doing in these verses we read today but reaping what he sowed as a young man? How different would Joseph's story be right now if he had given in or pursued laziness, lust, foolishness, self-centeredness, all of the other things we're tempted to give ourselves to when we're young? What if Joseph had sown to the flesh, In Potiphar's house, we we, there there would be no story here. Lastly, one more promise from the scriptures in light of Joseph's story. This is Luke chapter sixteen, verse ten. Jesus is speaking about greatness in the kingdom of God, and he says, "The one who is faithful in very little will be faithful in much. The one who's dishonest in very little will be dishonest in much. If you've not been faithful in little things, who's going to trust you with great riches?" Don't you see that here in in Joseph's story? Learn to wash the feet of prisoners and you will be fit to rule Egypt. So one of my my questions is just, what, what has God put in front of you right now to do? What has God put in front of you right now to do? Anybody a student? You mom, your job is washing dishes and doing laundry? You're a teacher, you're a CEO? You manage a tiny little department nobody cares about? Be faithful in little things, and God will make you fit to do great things. Joseph was a slave and then a prisoner. That was the only outlet that he had for honoring God, and he chose to do it. And God lifted him up and made him great. Honor God. Remember that you're not God. Remember that you will reap what you sow and be faithful in what God has put in front of you today. And I hope that as you read the story of Joseph and the way that God, you know, made him uniquely useful, not just to, a, to his family, but to the whole world. That's how the scripture reading ended today. All the earth, meaning the earth as they knew it, okay? All the earth was coming to Joseph and experiencing salvation. Joseph is saving the world, keeping them alive. As you read that, I I mean, I would just hope, especially if you're young, that you would be saying, oh God, I wanna do that. I wanna be uniquely useful to my family, to the church, to the world. And to know even as you say that, you don't know what you're talking about yet. It's okay. Even as you say, God, I want you to use my life for great things. Even as you say it, just know, God, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. But I'm asking you to do it anyway. This is how kings are made. Now, I got a cough. Everybody hold on. Ready? For those online, I just (laughs) muted myself. Joseph, this is the thing about Joseph. He really was a uniquely gifted person, a uniquely charismatic young man, he would have done well in any Fortune 500 company, even without the Spirit of God in his life. Uh, many people do today. But that is not what is going on in this story. Okay, so we're all clear? If, if you read it too fast, you miss it. But think about Joseph's resume. He's a foreigner and a slave. He's from a people group group called the Hebrews that the Egyptians considered unclean. We'll see this in chapter 43. They wouldn't even eat with a Hebrew because it was an abomination to do so. And by the way, he's currently serving a life sentence for assaulting a woman of noble birth. That's what Joseph brings to the table here. And yet Pharaoh looks at, you know, he interprets one dream. And Pharaoh and all of his cronies are like, this guy is awesome. Let's, let's put him in charge of everything. How, and by the way, and how about a 20% tax for seven years? Yes! How would that go today? So he's, yeah, extremely gifted, extremely charismatic. That does not explain the data in front of us. The Spirit of God is what made Joseph great in the end. So if you're sitting here this morning, you just think, man, you know, I'm just, I'm just not that awesome, not that charismatic. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a ball. You know what? I, <laughs> if you're just like, thanks for the story, Prince, but I'm not a Joseph, hear the word of the Lord. This is Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. God says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Any weak people here this morning, good news for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so if you're here, you're just kind of a fuddy-duddy. It's okay. Own it. It's cool. God is not looking for Joseph's resume to make great people out of. Some of you, okay, for the rest of you, some of you really are gifted. Some of you are incredibly gifted, and you amaze me. You, You look at a problem, you just know how to solve it. You step on the field, people want to follow you. People admire you. You know how to lead. You are just a little bit taller, a little stronger. You're a a great baller, whatever the deal is. I think Joseph was like that. That does not explain his greatness. When did Joseph become great? And when do we become great? It is not verses 38 through 45. Joseph became great somewhere back in chapter 37 when he'd been tossed in a pit and resolved in his heart whatever happens here I'm going to honor God. That's when he became great. You can make the same resolution today to lay your life before the Lord Jesus and say here are my issues Here's my past. Here are the things I've struggled with. Here are my disabilities or my abilities or whatever. Here's my family history, blah, blah, blah. But your word says that your power's made perfect in my weakness. Here it is. Here's all my weakness. And I'm offering you my life today. Greatness. And then let God work it out in your life. Old preachers used to say, seekest thou great things, then seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added to you. All right. Let's look at verses uh, 46 through 57 then. I just wanna talk, just do a little more reflecting on the greatness of Joseph and some of the dangers he would have encountered and how God protected him in the midst of that. So these verses give us a fly overview of a 14 year period And the first half, you look at verses 46 there. Joseph is 30 years old when he enters the the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land. So he got busy right away. He gathered up all the food for seven years. He stored it and he stored so much. It was like the sand of the sea. It couldn't even be measured. So it's just an an enormous undertaking. Uh, Imagine the scale of things that Joseph would have had to organize. And then skip down to verse 53. The years of, the seven years of plenty came to an end and the famine comes and there's famine everywhere and people are crying out for bread. Pharaoh just says, go to Joseph. He's like such a phenomenal leader. Pharaoh's not even like losing sleep over this whole deal. Just Joseph will take care of you. And when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened the storehouses. Verse 57, all the earth came to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe What's striking to me about these verses is what Joseph doesn't do, okay? I'm struck by the fact that it doesn't say, verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, and Joseph Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and headed straight to Potiphar's house. Do you hear what I'm saying? (laughs) He, He didn't go to Potiphar's house Can you imagine the conversation? Hello, Mr. Potiphar. Do you remember me? And is Mrs. Potiphar home today? I've got a signet ring I'd like to show her. And yes, these are the Pharaoh's robes. Yes, that is my chariot out front. Yes, these are my armed guards. How is she? (laughs) I notice it doesn't say that he went from Pharaoh's presence to the slave market to find the men who treated him like an animal. I notice it doesn't say that he, he rode north to Canaan to settle scores with his brothers. He certainly could have done so. I can imagine, because of the kind of man that Joseph was, Remember, these verses are just giving us a huge flyover, okay? So I'm, I'm just speculating, but I can imagine, because of the kind of man Joseph was, that he did curtail this, the, the practice of slavery in Egypt. I can imagine that. I can imagine that there were reforms under Joseph's administration to bring greater justice to the land. But the point here in this scripture is that Joseph put his considerable gifts to work to save a nation that had made his life hell for 13 years. (coughs) Not just in those 13 years, by the way. Okay, I'm still speculating. You don't, you know, maybe I'm wrong. But don't you think that Joseph experienced racism during these 14 years? Don't you think? If they consider Hebrews an abomination. Don't you think? Even if people submitted to him because of the robe and the signet ring. Don't you think people whispered behind doors about Joseph? Especially early on? Especially when he's taking 20% of their grain? Don't you think people ever questioned his motives? Don't you think? excuse me, do you you think Joseph's life was a cakewalk these 14 years? There is no way. Does anyone here manage a department larger than five people? Is your life a lot of fun all the time? Now try a nation doing the kind of thing that Joseph did. No, his life is not a cakewalk. So to everyone who seeks greatness, this is a sobering reminder. To be in the kingdom of God means to have so much, little regard for our own honor and to be so completely surrendered to God that we are prepared to work our tails off for people who hate us from time to time. To bless those who curse us. That is so easy to nod our heads with. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. That's what we want to do. Just so you know when you come to Jesus and offer your life to his service to do whatever he would have you do, you are doing so in the awareness that part of greatness is to serve people who curse you. You need to know, all of you need to know, but especially if you're young, if you say yes to following Jesus in this world, you will, you will be misunderstood You will be accused of all kinds of crazy things. People are gonna say you're phobic this and phobic that. And the higher you rise in life, the more tenuous your position will become. Rise anyway. Everybody got that? Rise anyway and resolve to ask God for the grace to love those who curse you. That's what we see in Joseph's life. Fame and faithfulness, just so you know, it just, if you're under the age of 25, you're just really on my mind this week. Fame and faithfulness rarely mix. Whenever I see young Christian people rising in their profession, I tremble for them because I know the blow is coming. The world, can, the world hates what God says about his holiness and the blow will fall. And I am saying to you, rise anyway. And let the blows fall. Have your life so committed to the grace of God that you're able to look into the future and say, whatever will come, will come. And I'm going to honor God with my life anyway. May God help us to be like Joseph in years to come. Now, the Bible is full of stories of people who began well when they were young. Okay, if you're a Bible reader, you, you've, you've come across this. The Bible is full of stories who begin well because when they're young, there's so much pressure on their lives. They have no clue what they're doing. They're so desperate for God's help that all they can do is trust God. And that's the spiritual blessing of the dungeon. By the way, if you're in the dungeon, uh, bless you, <laughs> okay? That's the spiritual blessing of the dungeon. But when they get older, they forget God. They get a handle on how to do things. They win a few battles. They amass a little treasure, and they forget the Lord, and their hearts grow cold toward God. So Jesus says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 19. So life in the dungeon is hard. Everybody got that? Life in the dungeon is hard. But at least it puts us in touch with our need. And need is the only thing you need to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when you get older and life is going well, the danger of the, okay, the, danger of the pit is you, is you will lose your soul in anger, bitterness, and wrath. That's a real danger, okay? The danger of the pinnacle is that you will lose your soul to indifference. Success has a way of making us indifferent toward God. And more of this generation will spend eternity in hell because of indifference than outright rebellion, I think. They're just gonna kinda coast their way out. So I just wanna show you two things that God did for Joseph to protect him at the top of his game. And as far as we know, for the rest of his life. These uh, this flyover of the 14 years of Joseph, it's built like a sandwich, okay? You got seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, but right in the middle, okay, think of all the details you would like to know about Joseph's life during this time. Right in the middle is the meat of the sandwich. This is what we're really meant to know. It says he had two sons. And it, he let the, the narrator lets us know what Joseph named them. The first is Manasseh. This is verse 15 which means God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. What does that mean? Okay, one thing it can't mean is that Joseph has like literally forgotten he had a dad and he had brothers and so on. Like his brain was wiped clean. Like some people tried to do in hypnosis. Like the pain, is, the pain from their past is so bad they just want their, their brains wiped clean. That cannot be what Joseph's talking about. I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm struck by the fact that Joseph doesn't hop in his chariot and ride north to Canaan to settle old scores. You know, I'm also struck by the fact that he never got in his chariot to ride north to find his family either. So when he says, God has made me to forget uh, all of my hardship and all of my father's house, it, it seems like what is probably happening here is that what he's saying is God has allowed me to move on emotionally in in some sense. What Joseph's brothers did was evil. Okay, they trafficked him into slavery, and that was the compromise rather than killing him. They thought they could make a little money, and that's why they chose to do what they did. They did an evil thing. And the Bible, the Lord Jesus teaches us how to leave people in situations that are dangerous like that. So while Joseph's story has been redeemed, his brothers have not. And I believe that Joseph has wisely left the timing of their redemption in the Lord's hands. Does that make sense? He's learned to trust God's timing in his own life, and he's taken his brothers and his family and said, God, you've got to deal with this. I, I, have thing, I, have to, I have to move on. And God's allowed him to do that. Another thing I think is going on, Joseph names his boy Manasseh because God heals our past, not by wiping our minds completely blank, but by uh, helping us to see what we've suffered through the providential lens of his own caring and love for us. Again, this is Romans eight, verse 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. This is another one of those promises that it doesn't say that we won't remember anymore about what happened to us, but that God will help us to forget by reframing our past within the lens of his own sovereign care. And that's what's happening to Joseph. He's beginning to see why all this happened. And by the way, I, I don't think Joseph sees the whole thing yet. Actually, I'm like really sure. Okay, he's going to have to wait to chapter 45 to see the whole thing. But he's beginning to see what God was doing. And it's enough to heal his heart for now. And that's the promise of the gospel. One day, we will see the whole thing. But in the meantime, while we are waiting for our full redemption, God will give us enough in Jesus to begin to heal now. Loved ones, God can do this for you. Joseph was not limping through life as a recovering pit dweller. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't limping through life saying, Hello, my name is Joseph. You want to know about me? I've been in a pit. That's what you need to know. Hello, my name is Joseph, and my father spoiled me, and that's why I'm a little messed up. Hello, my name is Joseph. My brothers abused me, and that explains who I am. He says, My name is Joseph. Joseph. And I serve an awesome God who has saved me from peril after peril and has redeemed my life and was with me and gave me what I needed when I needed it. And you can trust this God. Learning to forget our past is a part of the gift of of the gospel to us. Second thing, He calls the name of his second son, Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. There's this great danger of being a really gifted, really charismatic person, and some of you are. There's a danger of forgetting God. And we forget that all of our fruitfulness is a gift from God. He's the one who made made your brain. He's the one who taught you to think. He's the one who gave you your parents. He's the one who put you through school. I mean... You, you, may, you may go home today and have a stroke and your career is over. And we forget that. And we need short memories and a big God. And Joseph names his second son Ephraim as a reminder. Everything, every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. He's made me everything that I am. And Joseph continues to trust him. It's just a reminder, whether you're you're in a dungeon or on the pinnacle today, there is no ideal place to serve God. Life is fraught with physical and spiritual dangers. Remember the example of the Lord Jesus, who on the night he was betrayed, wept in Gethsemane, asking God to take this away from him. Not my will, but yours be done. And out of his affliction has come our redemption, our forgiveness of sin, life, hope, and joy. That's what happened in Joseph. Joseph became the savior of the world because he honored God. He was faithful no matter what came. And God made him great. Let's spend some time in prayer together this morning. I'm gonna invite you to pray. If you're at the pinnacle today, I just wanna invite you to go over every blessing and give thanks to God for it and ask him to protect you and bless you even more for the sake of his kingdom. If you're in the pit this morning, would you ask him to heal you? Would you ask him to make what Jesus has done for you so real to your heart that some of the darkness is removed and especially for those of you who would do great things. And I'm speaking to everyone, but especially if you're a kid, I am inviting you to lay your life before Jesus and say, God, I don't even know what I'm asking for, but I am offering you my life. Would you take it and use it for your glory and do whatever is necessary to prepare me for your purposes? Why don't you pray right now? Father in heaven, would you hear our prayers through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We ask these things in his name. Everyone said, amen. Let's stand and sing.